that's about enough being nice to each other. Now uh, you can be seated. Pull up a chair. What I suggest you do, if you, if you play this well, you could actually have somebody distract the guys next to you, and then you could sneak into their chairs. And what are they going to do about that, right? You could maybe sit in their chairs. It's great. So, Jim, come on up here. I, I, there are some things to consider. i got to tell you this. Last week we had the wild, wacky, inflatable blow-up tube man up there, if you remember that uh, kind of crazy thing. And we suggested, boy, head on up there. We've got some people that will help you sign up for the church-wide retreat. And uh, that wasn't me, by the way. It was you. But that's, you don't know that. that that's okay. Yeah, Robert's going to figure that, whatever that frequency is. Anyways, you guys went out of here. You went home. You went up to the top. And, and registered, and we went up to almost like 160 registrations. We're almost out of room for the church-wide retreat. Give yourselves a big hand for that, because that was awesome. We should find out who is procrastinating. Yeah, who's still waiting? The 14 of you that are still waiting. To, oh, yeah, we see a couple here. A couple, oh, yeah, uh-huh, Bill Davis. Yeah, so uh, get that thing done, taken care of. Get, go on. If you need some help, you can call the office and somebody will help you. But it's actually very easy to navigate on the website and get signed up because, honestly, we have like 200 spaces. That's our cap. So uh, we're doing really, really well. And That's Ruth's awesome. up there to answer questions. Ruth, are you up there waving your hand up there? Way to go. Perfect. So she'll help you if you need. I don't think you've got a wireless point to help them this week. Oh, you do. Okay, great. No, you do not. No. Okay, but she can still help answer any questions so you can make that final decision. That's the first full weekend of uh, September, September, actually after the Labor Day weekend. So it's the 8th, 9th, and around there. So very good. What else we got going on? That's it. We're just rolling through. I've been telling our visitors not to expect a great sermon today because the beauty's so beautiful over there. It's knocking you out. Yeah, (laughs) I don't blame you. He's a distracted pastor, so pray for our distracted pastor this morning. Yes, let's pray. Father, we delight in you. We delight in your spirit. Thank you for not leaving us alone. And thank you for uh, this beautiful place. Lord, I uh, thoroughly enjoy it. And I know all the people here from vacation are enjoying it as well. Thank you for your goodness. And uh, bless our time in your word. And uh, be sure to laugh at us as we try to make sense of it. Because that's what we're doing. In your son's name. Amen. For those of you that are visitors, uh, before the summer came, we spent the whole first part of the year talking about holiness and what is holiness. So we decided this summer to, to shift gears just a little bit and talk about the Holy Spirit. Because it's one thing to understand holiness, it's another thing to uh, understand how on earth do you get there? How do you make all that happen? And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So the very first Sunday, we talked, we, we, in fact, we named it Life Out of the Cage, Life Outside the Cage. We talked about um, when you turn to Christ, before you come to Christ, it's like living in the cage. Some of you, uh, most of you have been to a circus and seen the animals. I know the circuses are now gone, but when you were younger, saw the animals in the cages. And yeah, the animals were basically content. They were taken care of. But that's not what they were created for, to live inside of a cage. And that's what life is like when you don't know the Lord. You live inside of a cage. We've used a variety of metaphors. One was, you know, life is a big selfie um, until you step outside the cage. What would happen if you were to let those animals out of the cage and just turn them loose? 
there'd be problems. Most of you own pets. If you turned your pets loose and said, go enjoy the wild, we're done. They wouldn't survive the day. They would be food for somebody. Right? And so we ask the question, as you step outside of the cage, when you turn to Christ, what is that like? What is it like to step outside the cage? That's what we're actually created for, is to live outside the cage. We just don't know how to do it. It's foreign to us. And so last week we talked about the Spirit brings life, John 6. Um, and I use the metaphor there of all of you have had an arm or a leg. You sit on it and it goes to sleep. And then when you, wake, when you stand and start moving around, it starts to wake up. That's not very comfortable, is it? It, it, the first, the beginning part, as the blood circulates, is it hurts. That's what I found. Maybe I'm different than you, but it hurts. And so that's what life is like outside the cage. That's one glimpse of what happens. Because when you step outside the cage and the spirit comes and you're given life, we call that regeneration, you begin to realize, ooh, you're a lot worse than you thought you were. <laughs> that's a good thing, by the way. Because the more you realize that, the more you appreciate what the Lord did for you. You begin to realize that life is not like you thought it was. There's a lot of really horrible stuff. One of the things I have the privilege of doing is meeting with people 15, 20 hours a week outside of the church, coffee shops, restaurants, bars, things like that. And I hear the stories. I hear the stories, and you all have a story. I hear the story, and I hear how, how challenging life is for you. Some of you have been through really very tragic, painful stuff. Others of you are just confused and can't make sense of it. Uh, others of you, it, it, you wonder how, like the psalmist asks, how come my non-Christian neighbors are enjoying life? Life seems okay to them. Well, it's kind of like the animals in the cage. Life was okay. It's just an illusion. And so when you step outside the cage, your eyes are opened to the reality of what, the, what theologians call total depravity. You are completely depraved. Your natural thought process runs in the wrong direction. I know, I live with it. What happens when you see a beautiful woman or a beautiful car or whatever it is, that, whatever your trigger is, your thought process naturally runs in the direction that it's not supposed to go, doesn't it? And you begin to realize that. That's that waking up process. That's the waking up process. Well, today we're going to look at something very different. Uh, the opposite side of that, it's not all doom and gloom. How many of you like parties? Let me see. Raise your hands. Nothing like a good party. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he never passed up a chance to eat and drink. If there's a party, he found it. It's amazing to me. He's my hero. I've adopted his lifestyle. Good decision. Any of you have parties going on? Just let me know. He showed up at a party, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today in John 7. What role does the Spirit play? Here's a basic premise. When you step out of the cage, you're not alone. That's why He gave us His Spirit. And so we're looking at all the myriad of nuances of what that means to step out of the cage. 
You're not alone. You're not alone when you wake up, when that arm wakes up. You begin to sense who you are. You have the Spirit there guiding you. You're not alone when you're confused. You may be confused and you may seem in the dark, but he's very conscious of who you are and where you are. And he's guiding through that process. He's often silent, but he's there. And so today, in John 7, we're going to look at a party. It's called the Feast or Festival of Booths, Festival of Tabernacles. How many of you have heard that term? How many of you know what it is? Oh, a few of you. Okay. Here's, here's the Festival of Tabernacles or Booths in a very short description. It's a big camping party. How many of you like to camp? Yeah, that's Colorado. That's what I thought. Okay, so they wandered for 40 years, and the Lord took care of them. So they instituted this festival, this festival of booths or tabernacles, where what they did in the city of Jerusalem, because that was one of the three festivals that Jews had to gather uh, three times a year for a festival. This was one of them. It was about eight days long, and uh, they would move outside their home into shelters, temporary shelters in, in Jerusalem. It's like a big camping party. You can imagine how fun it would be. The rabbis tell us that the music went 24 hours a day. It's, it's, it's aligned up with the fall of the autumn harvesting time. So it's a great time of celebration. It's a great time. The heat of the summer is mostly past. They're living in tents and they're celebrating. They're enjoying. They're remembering the Lord's care all the way through 40 years. He took care of them. He fed them. He, he protected them. He did all of that. And so the Festival of Tabernacles is one of those festivals just filled with lots of joy. They tell us that the young men danced uh, around the candles at nighttime. They danced 24 hours a day and sang. Does that sound like fun? Stop all your work. Just stop everything. And get together and laugh. And enjoy the Lord. How many of you would like to do that for a whole week? You can't. Some of you have kids. You don't have that freedom. I can do it because my kids are grown. How many here on vacation? So this is somewhat like that, isn't it? A week-long, enjoyable time. That's what this festival was all about. Okay? John 7. That's where we're going to go today. Verse 2, it says, The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. So we're at the very beginning of the tabernacle festival. Remember, it's eight days long. And then in verse 14, about halfway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple courts and he began to teach. So he's in the middle of the festival. Now, there were two parts to this festival that they celebrated every day. Okay? One was a celebration of water. It symbolized, imagine living in the desert, a whole nation for 40 years. Where do you get water from? We have a couple of stories, you know, Meribah and all that, where they struck the rock and water came forth. But God took care of them and gave them water. And so what they did was the high priest would go with his gold uh, pitcher to the pool of Siloam, dip the, pool, the, the pitcher into the pool, take the procession. They would all follow him back, and they would splash the water on the temple floor as a way of saying, thank you, God, for taking care of us. And along the way, when they did that, they would sing the Psalms of Praise, um, the praise psalms, it starts at Psalm 113. Listen to the words of these psalms. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to read 
pieces out of them. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That's Psalm 113. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Uh, We turn over to Psalm 116. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise the Lord, extol him, all you peoples. Everybody on the earth, praise him. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. They they read and sang these psalms around this ceremony, this water ceremony. They remember that God took care of them in the desert. So you can just picture Everybody dancing and singing. It's a party. Saying, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you. Well, the second part of the festival was every, they did this every day as well, was a festival of lights. They would light the menorah candles in the temple to symbolize the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. So just as God blessed them with water, he also blessed them with leadership. He protected them. He led them. He guided them. So every day they did this. And again, we have stories of the, guy, the young men dancing around the candles, just singing their heart out. And then they sang for this one a different set of psalms, the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, although we're not crystal clear on what these psalms were about, what we think is that they sang these psalms as they went up to the temple to worship the Lord. And so on this part of the ceremony, they're celebrating that God took care of them. He protected them. They're in the desert. They don't know warfare. They're slaves. They don't know any of that. And the Lord took care of them and protected them. So this starts in Psalm 120. Again, I'm just going to read a sampling. Psalm 120, I call on the Lord in my distress. He answers me. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. We can't wait to get there. Psalm 123, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us. Psalm 124, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. Psalm 126, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Psalm 127, you know this one. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards, uh, they, they stand watch in vain. We've applied that to our families. Help us, Lord, build our families. Psalm 128, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. These are the songs they sang every day during this festival. Psalm 129, they have greatly oppressed oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, hear my voice. 
Let your ears be attentive to my cry for your mercy. Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I live in today. Psalm 132, Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. You know the difference between David and Saul? Saul is a fantastic administrator, a great organizer. He didn't do very much wrong. David, on the other hand, did about everything wrong you could think of. But David is the one called after God's own heart. Why? Because every time Saul was confronted, he had an excuse. Every time David was confronted, he goes, oh, I sinned. I'm wrong. So that's what this psalm says. Remember David in all his self-denial. Psalm 133, another one that you know. How good and pleasant it is when people live together in unity. And the final ascent psalm, Psalm 134, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So those are the group of psalms that they sang throughout this festival. Every day it's just a big, a big party, a big celebration. They're living in tabernacles, they're living in booths. Okay, so they dip the water, the priest does, they come down and they throw it in, into the floor of the temple and they sing the songs of praise, how great you are, Lord. And then they light the candles, the menorah candles that reminded them of God's leadership through the desert for 40 years, pillar of cloud and pillar by fire. And they sang the songs of ascent, Lord, take care of us. Hear our cry for mercy. Watch over us. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? Isn't that great? So then Jesus comes into the picture. Verse 37 of John 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he said two things. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I don't know this, but I suspect as the high priest is pouring out the water from the pool of Siloam, he stands up right at that moment in a very loud voice and says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me. You see, the rituals point to Jesus. We've said over and over again that a ritual done well brings Jesus into our world. A ritual done poorly simply makes you feel good about yourself. That's what was happening to them. He stands up at that very moment. I believe, I'd like to think that. And he says in a loud voice so that they can all hear, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living water. Now what's he talking about here? It does say, as the scripture said, we're not quite clear where he's referring to because it doesn't say it quite that way. But in Ezekiel 47, we have this incredible, incredible prophecy of what happens in the, in the Messianic age when the Lord comes, the Messiah comes, and he brings the Spirit. Listen to this. I'm just going to skim through it. Ezekiel 47. The man brought me to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east because the temple faced east. The water is coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse 3, the water was ankle deep, so he's kind of stepping in the water. 
Verse 4, he measured off another 1,000 cubits, and the water's knee-deep. So they're flowing downstream 1,000 cubits. Now the water's up to their knees. And then in the second half, he measured off another 1,000 cubits, and guess what? The water's up to the waist. Then it's another 1,000 cubits, and it's so deep, he can't cross anymore. He's now underwater. So as the water flows from the temple out into the world, this becomes a picture of the Spirit in Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 36 and 37, he laid out the whole new covenant, the coming of the Spirit. In Ezekiel 47, he pictures it as water is just flowing out. What did Jesus say in John uh, 4 with the Samaritan woman? You become springs of water. It's just flowing when you turn to Christ. That's what should happen. You are wet and everybody around you gets wet. So this is the imagery he used here. As the scriptures say, rivers of living water will flow from them. That's what the church is supposed to be like. That's what we're supposed to be like. We show the world what life is like outside of the cage. How else are they going to know? How else are they going to know? All your good words mean nothing if you're not living that kind of life. If you're not living the life outside of the cage where, the, where you become overflowing. You're thirsty? Turn to the Lord Jesus, he says. Turn to the Lord Jesus. The second thing he says, in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again, now he's still in the temple, as far as I can tell, still at the festival. Here he says the second thing, I am the light of the world. I'd like to think that just when he, they poured the water out, he said, if anyone is thirsty, turn to me. And then they go over to light the candles to remember God's leadership. And he says, I am the light of the world. Everything that all those rituals pointed toward, he was standing right there. That's Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All the way through the Old Testament, the imagery is that the Gentiles are living in darkness. That's the image. And when the Messiah comes, they would live in the light. You see, here's God, and he makes this nation, all these nations, different colors. For those of you that are older, a kaleidoscope of nations, and he chooses one, Israel, to reach the rest, to bring the light, of dark, out of the, to the, bring the light to them who are living in darkness. In fact, that's at the... When Jesus was born, that's what they said. A light to those living in darkness. That's us. So when you put that all together, when we live our lives the appropriate way, guess what happens? We become rivers of living water in the lives of our people right here. For those of you that are visitors, wherever you're from, you're from Oklahoma, they desperately need that. Texas, they need it even worse. Have you been to Texas? I went there for seminary. That was purgatory. I told several of the Texans, if I had been coming from Oklahoma to Texas, that would be a step up. And a couple of the Oklahoma people heard it. They weren't so keen on that. They'll get over it, though. But I came from here to Texas. All joking aside, 
we become streams of living water. It cleanses people. It refreshes people. It quenches their thirst. That water metaphor is so powerful. And we become light. We can show people the way by, we live our, by the way we live our lives. Okay? Now, here's the amazing thing about this story. I didn't read to you the part where he's teaching in the temple uh, before he makes those two grand statements. So you understand how those statements are powerful within the festival? Because that was the heart of the festival with those two, those two practices. He's teaching in the temple beforehand, and like is common, they're arguing with him, and they're, they're challenging him left and right, and they ask him basically, how do we know what you're saying is true? Okay, now listen to these words just before he makes those grand statements. This is John 7, um, verse 17. This is a very important verse. Anyone who chooses to do the will of the Father will find out whether my teaching is true, whether it comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever chooses to do the will of God, you're going to find out. And for those of you that have walked with the Lord a long time, you found out, haven't you? I love meeting each week with a whole bunch of people because I cross the generations. And what I typically find is those that are younger in the Lord, they're trying to make sense of it. Life is not good. There's so many challenges. Those that have been with the Lord for a long time, they're relaxed. When I was in Cambridge, just recently on my sabbatical, I was sitting toward the end of the six weeks with a bunch of the younger um, a bunch of the younger scholars there, and one of them said to me, are you as happy as you seem? I love that question. So I took it just a second and thought about it, and I said, you know, I, I am, yeah. That's just a product of serving the Lord for 40 years. I am. Somebody said, I wish I could see it through your eyes. In fact, I've had this conversation with three or four of you. I wish I could see it through your eyes. I said, Really? then let your dad die of cancer. So my dad did. And you'll see it through my eyes. Let your first wife die. That's what happened to me at 25. Then you'll see it through my eyes. Do you want to see it through other people's eyes? You've got to walk in their shoes. That's what that means. Is that really what you want? Whoever follows this teaching will learn whether or not It's true. And I can tell you after 40 years, it's true. So the answer to the question, I explained that to these young scholars, and I said the answer is yes. Oh, I have my days like you do. But the answer is yes. Down in the inside, it's at rest. I'm as happy as I seem. Not pretending. Oh, I suppose the Lord could take another baseball bat to me. He has had to do that on numerous occasions. I'm pretty stubborn. Ask Jude. Ask Mark. (laughs) And every now and then the Lord just has to take a swing. Right, Stefan? But by the grace of God, that swing is less and less frequent as I soften. And I've come to realize that what Jesus said was true, that the beginning of stepping out of the cage, that journey is one of humbling. 
And you know why? Because as long as I think I don't really need the Lord, I'm not enjoying the life he created me to live. I'm just not. And in my particular case, and I hope I'm the only one here, that process of learning to depend on him means he had to take away pretty much everything. Including my first wife. For me to learn, I really need to trust him. And over time, he has started, he started way back here 40 years ago, working inside of me, and then very, very slowly, as he works inside of me, as the years go by, he begins to work through me. And I begin to relax, and I begin to enjoy that dependence. I love it that he is God, and I am not. I don't have to worry about things above my pay grade. I don't worry about who's the president. I don't worry about who's in charge of the various houses of Congress. Oh, I pray for them and vote my conscience like you do. I don't worry about the Supreme Court. Let them make their decisions. Psalms 1, 2, and 3, the Lord is laughing at them. So I do too. I laugh at them. That's what life outside the cage is like. At one level, you're starting to wake up and it's uncomfortable, but at another level, you have stepped into the most fantastic party the world has ever seen. And it is filled with joy. As Jesus said, if you walk that walk, and it takes a long time. It's a little bit more each time. But as the years pile up, guess what? You're smiling more and more. And the future, where our hope lies, becomes part of the present because you experience it today. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many of you that are older understand that? Yeah. Look at those hands. Those are your elders. The future becomes part of today because we begin to realize that dependency on the Lord is what I was created for. And that's what the Holy Spirit is for. When I step out of the cage, he's right there, a comforter, a teacher. He's empowering to walk every step of the way so I have nothing to worry about. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. To teach you life outside the cage. Father, thank you for... your incredible ways. I admit to you, Lord, that they, they're mysterious to me. Some things I, I think I understand, other things I just scratch my head. But what I've come to know for sure is that you are a good God. You did not leave us alone. You sent your spirit to help us navigate the very complex and challenging obstacle course called a fallen world. And then in the process, you make us to be rivers of life in the lives of our friends and neighbors, Lord. We do pray for our friends and neighbors, our county here, the counties of all the people that are here on vacation. We lift them up to you. Use us, Lord. Use us in great ways to show them what your love really looks like. To show them what life in the spirit is like outside the cage. It really is freedom. It's true freedom. Thank you. 
Thank you for opening the cage door and then sending us your spirit to teach us how to live life outside the cage. In his name we pray, amen.